This is Market Scales Knowledge is Power with your host, Brandon Fluger. Welcome back. This week in this episode of Knowledge is Power, we'll be exploring several topics that shed light on one particular leader's pivotal moments in his exciting career, major learning moments that he's had, and how his leadership has shaped the way B2B companies communicate and engage in doing business. As always, you'll want to stick around for the end as we have a special sign-off ahead of next week's episode. Joining us today is Jeff Kozart, CEO at Juniper Unmanned the top insights provider to innovative project managers in large enterprises. Their remote sensing technologies give managers unprecedented access to info about physical assets, and their artificial intelligence and analytics give them the powerful tools for determining the best course of action. He has more than three decades of experience in the B2B world, having begun in marketing, moved along with sales, all the while developing his leadership skills and eventually becoming CEO at Juniper Unmanned. He also sits on the board of UAS Colorado, a nonprofit industry advocacy group that's committed to promoting and growing the commercial drone industry in Colorado, specifically supporting the safe integration and use of unmanned aircraft systems for the benefit of the general public. Jeff, welcome. Hey, thanks, Brandon. It's great to be with you. Great to have you on as well, and, and quite the introduction there. I'm really impressed by your background, and um, I, I also recently learned that you're a fifth-generation Coloradan. So uh, I'm excited to, to learn with you about business in Colorado, business around the world, how it's changed and how you've adopted or adapted along the way. And uh, really, you know, let's just start off with this, Jeff. Um, you know, let's peel back a few layers and learn about what shaped you into the leader that you are today. You bet. Uh, and if we're going to peel back the layers, we might as well go pretty deep uh, here. So uh, I'm going to go back to when I was uh, 15 years old. And that was really a pivotal moment for me, actually. Uh, it was my first job. And uh, and it was um, you know working on, uh, as a summer camp counselor at a Boy Scout camp here in Colorado, believe it or not. So that's really- amazing. And you know, made I made two hundred dollars for the summer, but it was a it was a pivotal uh, a moment because the leadership there at that Boy Scout camp showed me what was possible in terms of building a team and crafting a high performance organization that uh, produced remarkable results. And uh, I was just just fortunate enough to to have that as my first experience that set the mold, set the standard for, you know, what could be. And, uh, you know, so I'm really grateful to the to the guys that uh, you put that program together and and for including me in it. Yeah, no, that's that's amazing. It kind of uh, shed some light back on uh, some of your earlier positions as well. I know you were involved in uh, the Boy Scouts of America, the, the Denver Area Council as well. And from there, I think you became the district director. Um, so you're, you've been involved. Sounds like you grew up in it and um, have learned quite a bit and, and even got to get involved, um, you know, after <laughs> you're 15 years old and that initial experience. Um, tell us a little bit about that, kind of those entry-level years there after college and, and getting involved with the Boy Scouts group. 
So I, my degree is in cellular and developmental biology. So, you know, somebody says, uh, well, how, how did you end up at the Boy Scouts or being an entrepreneur when you were, you know, on this path towards uh, science? And, uh, and, and, uh, you know, I had a, I had a good buddy that I had met at that uh, summer camp as a kid. And, uh, and uh, after I got my degree, uh, he was there, we were hanging out together and he said uh, he was going to work for the Boy Scouts and he invited me to, uh, to, to uh, take a little time and, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, enjoy a, a, a great position with the scouts and and uh, it, it was really great the, you know one of the keys there in that uh, early career for me was that they that I was given opportunities to lead I and you know going back to the uh, the experience as a as a 15 year old I had a camp director that uh, you put me in places that I I didn't know that I had the capability of succeeding in those places and uh, you know I was at 15 year old years old going to be the teacher of uh, all these other uh, scouts that were coming into the end of the camp, I was going to be responsible for making sure that the uh, that the the retail operations were you know pulled off without uh, hitch, and uh, and uh, I was going to be the the person that uh, made sure that uh, the, the campers had a really good experience, you know. I was put in positions uh, uh, that were uh, what I, at the time, I didn't know that I was capable of succeeding in and the, the level of trust that they gave me uh, and, and encouraged me to uh, develop and hone my leadership skills. That's amazing. Um, you know, that's a, a common theme we've heard across these episodes is, you know, managing a team and, um, you know, identifying how they fit in the team, but identifying, um, you know, where they can, explore themselves even further where they can further their skills where they can where you know they have potential but maybe they just don't see it and allowing them to to be in those opportunities where they can grow um, and do things maybe outside of their comfort zone but at the end of the day they get that experience that they might not have done otherwise but for someone pushing them and, and placing them into that so um, you know, with, with some of those initial experiences and getting, uh, you know, into those positions and, and doing things you didn't think you were equipped yet to do, um, I see you also started into marketing as well. You, you did some marketing, consulting, uh, and then you went into sales. And I'd love to hear just, uh, you know, that transition into marketing and, and where sales came after that. And um, obviously from there, you never stopped selling. Uh, no matter who you are and where you are, but uh, into becoming the CEO of a company. Um, I'd love to start at those first few years there and kind of how you got started in, in the marketing roles and what's really changed over time for you now as a business leader when you when you think of marketing and you think of sales. Well, the, those roles that I had while I was working with the Boy Scouts, I, I was put in charge of programs that had, uh, you know, had uh, we had to sell uh, those programs to to people uh, to be successful. You know, whether that be the, you know, that we had to bring in, uh, you know, troops to the summer camp and convince them that this was the right camp to go to, or I started a, a show, an, uh, an event uh, to show off the capabilities of all of the uh, scouts across the Denver area to to uh, the Denver market, and. Uh, uh, you know, again, you're sell, selling tickets. You're set, and it was very much a sales kind of uh, uh, role that I had there at the Boy Scouts. So, uh, so I I think that the the Boy Scouts put me in a position of recognizing that I had those sale, sales capabilities, um, and uh, they put me in a place that uh, you know that I was dependent on sales as a as a uh, 
uh, a means of uh, demonstrating my success and growing. So I honed my sales skills. But, you know, also from that standpoint, I also had to start thinking about uh, marketing. So, you know, really the key for me in the development of the marketing is why do people buy? Right. What was what was making people you know, come to the conclusion uh, that uh, that uh, you're coming to this show was the right thing for them to do? That it was they were spending their valuable time and their energy and their money to come and, and participate in these programs that I developed. And so I, I started trying to you know, get into their mind and understand, uh, you know, what was what were those motivating factors? And as I started uh, uh, doing that, uh, you, you know, you think of that in marketing terms as personas. Uh, you, you put a you know, capture the character of a person that is your ideal buyer. And one one approach that you can take in uh, in uh, selling is to identify those ideal buyers. So if you have this pro forma in your mind, you go looking for people that meet uh, this, uh, this persona uh, look a lot like that. And then you uh, present uh, your case to them. Uh, taking that a step further uh, with the Boy Scouts, I saw that we had uh, databases and uh, that I could georeference those databases and determine where those personas were likely located, right, uh, in geography. And I and uh, you know, pulling down uh, census information, I was able to identify the very the very neighborhoods where those personas were most likely to be located. That enabled me to uh, be very effective at, uh, you know, membership growth within the Boy Scouts. And then, you know, as I left the Boy Scouts, the next thing that I did was I took that very same character or that uh, same uh, analytic technique and brought it to uh, uh, Vail and Associates and uh, uh, did a did a large project using their customer databases to understand uh, how they could differentiate uh, one ski area from the next and uh, where where their ideal customers would be located for uh, each of those um, each of those brands. Uh, so that gave you a lot of a lot yeah. of details, Brandon, on on that. No, but I think great. I approached the marketing more from the science of it, and you can kind of see how the science uh, developed my the way that I the way that I think. Uh, but I brought that uh, scientific skill to the marketing realm. Yeah, gosh, um, you know, with the Vail and Associates, if there's any sort of um, association with the Vail Resorts. Uh, I think it's a, it's a global entity now and probably started in Vail. So you had a big hand to do with identifying some of that, it sounds like, uh, from the early get-go uh, of the Vail development days. Um, but, you know, having worked across uh, several different leadership positions there, it sounds like, uh, with different companies and perhaps different industries too, um, surely there were some major learning moments along the way. Um, you know, whether you were put in a position uh, where you thought, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I got to figure it out, or, you know, coming to a crossroads where you had to make a decision, uh, a fork in the road, you had to make a decision, which way am I going to take this? You know, talk to us a little bit about some of those big learning moments you've had along the way, and maybe it was a, a tough or difficult decision you had to, to make and relied on perhaps, you know, a, a mentor or a mentee relationship help you form that decision making. Yeah, so let's you know sort of jump into that uh, the entrepreneurial side of my career because uh, you know I spent some time at the Boy Scouts and obviously that that helped me to develop and hone some of these skills, but at some point along the line I decided that uh, you know that when I looked at myself I I and evaluated what I wanted my life to look like uh, I decided that uh, ultimately I was born to be an entrepreneur. I was 
Um, you know, not, not, not in the sense of the risk taking, but the sense of accomplishing a big thing, right. And to do that big thing over and over again. Um, and uh, so I, I saw my career as a, a series of uh, future businesses where I could help to uh, guide and bring those big ideas to bear for the benefit of our uh, society. Um, so, um, you know, I, so I left the Boy Scouts in 2000 and did an MBA program. And of course, the best place to start a new business business is Cancun, Mexico. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so I started a business in uh, Cancun dealing with uh, travel and tourism uh, content. Uh, I'd never, never done anything like wow. uh, that exactly in my career, but you can see like all the, the experience of building events and, uh, and the camping programs. It all sort of led toward, uh, uh, toward understanding uh, the buyer intent uh, in travel and tourism. And I was very much interested in historical uh, travel. So that first business, uh, we were building travel and tourism content. I think, uh, you know, interpreting Maya ruin sites uh, in the Yucatan Peninsula for, for people that are coming in and they want to learn about uh, the history and the culture and, and all of that. So, yeah, so we, uh, you know, so one thing, right, yeah, I think there as a lesson uh, is that, uh, that um, you know, I learned that I was an entrepreneur uh, by looking at myself. Uh, it, I didn't. I didn't look out externally uh, for a career, but I looked internally and said, "Who am I?" Right, and that was really the the decision was born from my understanding of who I am. Um, you know, not from an ambition to become something special or anything like that. It was how can I live my life to the be the best person that I can be for the world. Not, uh, not how, you know, not, not from the, what can the world give to me, but how do I use this person that I am to be the best for the world? And my understanding was, um, as I looked at myself, that that would be born in entrepreneurism. That, that's amazing. Uh, I'm actually going to Cabo here uh, in one and a half short weeks, and uh, I'll, I'll be doing some tourism while I'm there. While I'm there. <laughs> so, that, that, that's really interesting to hear, though, um, with the internal um, reference there versus going out and trying to emulate what other people are doing. You looked at what you wanted to do, what you wanted to become, and said, you know what, I, I like accomplishing big things, and I want to do it over and over, um, and there's a way to do that and take control of that as well. And it sounds like you've kind of taken control uh, even uh, further now in your current role there uh, with, with Juniper Unmanned. Um, being, you know, at the, the head of that ship and steering that team's direction. Um, I want to take this one step further because you mentioned a lot of really interesting things with uh, the Boy Scouts uh, of America and, you know, just the different leadership models that were put in place and that you got to experience and that you got to um, go through yourself. So um, in today's, obviously, uh, economic climate, you have to be bold. Um, so I wanted to talk about a little bit more about future leaders and, and what you can um, lend there. And I think it's a hot topic for any really leadership organization. Obviously, you've got leaders that are retiring. You've got leaders that are moving on, moving up, going to different spaces. Uh, and we have to develop a new generation of, le of leaders, uh, succession planning, and, and growing really a roster, a bench of good talent to continue growing business. You know, what are some things that you see as strategies or, um, you know, how, how have you gone about building teams to develop leaders and to really ensure that you're getting the most out of your employees and the most out of your teams? 
Yeah, there's a, there's a lot there and uh, what you what you're asking, but uh, you know, I would go back to uh, you can learn the easy way or you can learn the hard way, and and the easy way is to learn vicariously um, uh, to see what other people have done and uh, to you learn from both their successes and their mistakes. We tend to look for you know where people made mistakes and you say, well, like I'm gonna learn my greatest lessons from the mistakes, but you know what a mistake teaches you is what not to do. Whereas a success teaches you what you could do, right? So uh, I think one of the lessons here is to focus on where those successes are. Look, look at uh, what you want your life to be and then uh, look for examples of the success and, uh, and learn from it. Um, and, you know, learning vicariously uh, is a lot less expensive uh, than, uh, you know, learning, uh, you know, learning it for yourself the hard way. Uh, I would say that uh, that that uh, uh, you know, as much as I just said, uh, you're going to learn from a success. I'm going to say that that first that first entrepreneurial role in Mexico didn't quite turn out the way that I expected it to. Uh, I I took the bold action that uh, Brandon that you're telling people to take, and I stepped into a world that I didn't really fully understand. Um, you know, for example, when you're when you're um, uh, setting up a business in Mexico, you kind of need to understand the cultural rules. Uh, that uh, govern the place and kind of the infrastructure. Uh, uh, think think of this: just putting a telephone line into an office, and you and you know we take that for granted here, where it's like, oh, I'll just call the telephone company; they'll come over and hook it up. Uh, well, I called and called and called and went down and visited, and you know, ultimately, the only way that I was able to uh, to get a telephone line in my office was to stand out on the side of the road looking for a telephone truck with a twenty dollar bill in the air. Um, and, wow. uh, and, uh, and ultimately, uh, it was able to get somebody to stop and, uh, to, to pay attention to it, but I had to, had to have some guides that could help guide me through the things that I didn't know. And, uh, so, uh, in Mexico, bringing some, uh, you know, people alongside me that, uh, were familiar with the culture was really important, uh, to my, you know, success there. Um, you know, ultimately it was challenging, but it was a whole lot less challenging because I had those uh, guides there to say, no, Jeff, here's how this works. And uh, it's different than it works in the United States. And here's how we can make it work here. Uh, but it was it was that was a lot more expensive uh, endeavor than I had put down in my budget, um, you know, simply because there were so many more challenges that I that, you know, just because I didn't recognize, uh, you know, the the culture I was operating in. Yeah, no, most definitely. Everyone needs a guide um, along the way. And, you know, whether that's a coach or on the other side, a mentor um, or just a network that they can bounce ideas off of. Um, and trial and error that way before it becomes an expensive mistake, right? Um, so tell me a little bit more about, you know, some of your, your staples, some of your, your real rocks in leadership when it comes to building a team. What do you look for? What does a successful team need? And how do you cultivate uh, the employees to continue growing in the right direction, to continue working um, growing themselves professionally and personally, but also helping the company do well too. One, one thing that uh, you, you learn along, I guess, uh, along the way as a person that, uh, you know, feels like I can, you know, I'm not afraid of anything. I can jump in and learn anything, right? I can be a marketing guy or I can be a, you know, graphic artist or I can do, and, but, you know, at some point you can't do it all. Uh, and uh, you need to surround yourself with uh, people that, uh, that can do that job and do it better than you can. Uh, so I, um, 
there's the skill piece of it, but uh, I think that uh, the other piece of that is just that recognizing that I have to communicate and I have to communicate really well what the vision is uh, that we're, we are trying to accomplish together as a team and then to provide that person with the resources to be successful. So what are the characteristics that make uh, that person, uh, you know, somebody that's uh, eligible to be hired? I would, I would, uh, you know, there's a, I don't even know who, uh, uh, you know, coined it, but they said, humble, hungry, and smart. And uh, that I, I live by that. Uh, I look uh, for, for people who are hungry in the sense that they're like me. They would be willing to do anything to, uh, to make, uh, you know, make it happen. Um, yeah, a really quick example of hungry uh, is that I was in uh, in um, uh, Playa del Carmen, Mexico, looking across the channel to Cozumel. I could see Cozumel off in the distance, and it was five o'clock at night. Uh, it's getting dark out, and the last ferry boat had just left for Cozumel, and I needed to be in Cozumel that night for for one for a meeting. I think it was, but uh, but ultimately, it was really important that I be in Cozumel that night. So there's no public transportation to get from uh, Playa del Carmen to Cozumel uh, at that point in time. So what do I start doing? The first thing is I start looking for fishing boats. Uh, then, then I start looking for people that might rent me a jet ski. Uh, and ultimately, uh, when I was unsuccessful with that, I stood there on the shore and looked across the channel and said to myself, you think you can swim it? And I would, and at that moment, I realized yeah. that I was totally serious about swimming the channel. Now I'd be dead if I had tried, right? Uh, but, uh, uh, but, um, uh, and so I didn't. I, I, you know, a good, good thing. At any rate, I realized within myself that I had the level of determination. I was hungry to make it happen. To what, whatever the goal is, I was hungry to make it happen. Now, from the standpoint of humble, you know, humble to me is somebody that can uh, live authentically. They don't, they don't have anything to prove, right? Humble is the sense of we're in this together. It's an all for one and one for all kind of culture, right? Where I am here for you and you are here for me. And I'm willing to admit my weaknesses so that you can uh, fill in the gaps. And likewise, you'll do the same for me. If we are in constant competition with one another where we're trying to, uh, I'm trying to be better than you and you're trying to be better than me, we're not really lifting each other up as a whole. Uh, so there, there's, this isn't a, um, uh, you know, a zero sum game here. We can have the kind of culture where success happens when we're both, when we both achieve uh, what we, you know, individually want and together we achieve what we you know what we want as a um, as a corporation uh, so humble is really important there because when people start when, and they're not humble they start doing things that are detrimental to the company one of those things that is just a, it's it's just like a, a a total sin in my in my book is using leverage right leverage is when you when you decide that uh, you're going to um, you know, effectively blackmail or, or, you know, you're, you're going to do something to somebody else to get them to see things your way. I actually had an employee once that said, uh, said to me, uh, Jeff, you, as the leader, you have to do this thing for me or else I'm going to leave. So my first response was I opened up the door and said, see ya. 
right? Goodbye. Because I just can't have the kind of people in my organization that will do that to each other. We have to be better individually so that we can be better together. And so having that humility, that humbleness that, that you can bring to the table is, is core. Now, SMART, I think, kind of speaks for itself. Uh, like I said before, I can't do everything myself. So I need to surround myself with people that can do the job better than I can do it. I need to have the trust in their ability to, to be competent and excel and to bring a level of excellence that I couldn't bring. And ideally, we're developing a synergy as a team such that none of the individuals uh, could probably do this themselves, but together we can accomplish it as a team. So it's humble, hungry, and smart. Those, those are great. Those are three pillars um, that you can't move that uh, you've got to stand by. So thanks, Jeff, for, for walking through those uh, principles as well and giving some examples too. Uh, I know that, that definitely resonated with me um, and I've certainly learned along the way with, with those as well and in my own experiences. And um, it sounds like you're, you're running the right culture, the right team, and you're running it on all cylinders, if you will. Um, so with that said, running full steam ahead, um, you know, we're, we're looking at the second half of the year here um, after a, an interesting year, to say the least, in 2020. And um, curious just to learn what you see, um, you know, happening in your industry. Um, you know, maybe it's, you know, hiring trends, maybe it's this, you know, in-person, not in-person, remote world, or, you know, training happening a little bit more online versus solely in-person. What are some things uh, that you are seeing or that you anticipate being a little different um, in a good way, uh, being more efficient uh, in the second half of the year? So just curious to learn a little bit more about that in your in your eyes there, Jeff. Right. So now, I, when we think of uh, my industry, I think you're you're referring to um, uh, you know the drone industry, right? And uh, 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 but I, I'd actually like to broaden that and say, you know, what's happening in the society in a bigger sense, right? Because what we're doing with drones is we are looking at physical infrastructure. Uh, we're looking at roads and bridges. We're looking at utility lines. We're looking at dams and uh, and wind wind uh, farms and all kinds of physical infrastructure that our society needs to be successful. And we're using drone technology to evaluate three things. The first is where is that asset located? And you think, oh, well, no, everybody knows where it's located. They've got it in their GIS or whatever. But in most of our physical infrastructure, not most, about 30% of our physical infrastructure actually doesn't reside in anybody's database. It's lost, right? And a lot of that is because the infrastructure was developed prior to the time that GIS was available. Uh, you know, think think of um, uh, oil wells, right? So you've got an abandoned wellhead that sits out in the middle of Pennsylvania. Nobody knows where it's located because it was some guy's institutional memory, you know, that was in his head uh, as to where that was located, and it's long since been lost. So we 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 have a problem, um, you know, from the sense of where are things located. The, the next thing is, what is the condition of that thing, of that asset, right? So um, if uh, if we have a, 
an electric power pole in uh, California that uh, that hasn't been inspected in 15 years and it uh, creates a wild wildfire, uh, we all have a problem, right? But I, I'm going to tell you that most of our electric utility, uh, our power poles, uh, are not they're not inspected up to what the society or our, or our society would would want to see. Why? Because we don't have the capability of sending an army out that's big enough uh, to do that inspection. So the drone offers a capability of inspecting a, a large, a much larger volume of those power poles and determining the condition. And then the third piece of that is to determine what is necessary. What, what do we need to do now that we know the condition? What actions should we take? Um, and, you know, what we see happening in our society uh, right now or in the, in the country right now is that the infrastructure that we have is aging. It's getting, it's, it, you know, it was designed for, say, a 15-year lifespan, and it's 40 years old at this point. We should all have an expectation that something will be done to improve the condition of our physical infrastructure. Otherwise, problems like the fire in Paradise, California are going to become normal. And we don't want that to be the case. You and I don't want to have a, have a society where we just grow accustomed to the you know the infrastructure breaking down. We won't be efficient as an economy if that's the case. Yeah, that's amazing. Um... I, I, you should write a book and I, I would read it, um, or just an audio book even. I would read it and, uh, or, or go on the speaking circuit. I would come and listen. I, everyone needs to listen and, and hear that and, and educate themselves. And I think a lot of people, um, you know, not just in B2B, but lay people, laypersons can resonate with that. I mean, I know here in Texas, we had a, a freeze recently and uh, a lot of the windmills were, were frozen, uh, were offline. And so, uh, and the electric grid was pretty poor at the time as well, and a lot of people experienced power outages. Um, certainly don't want that to become the norm, especially as the temperatures now start heating up. Um, we, we don't need that to be the norm, and there are better ways to go about it going forward to make sure that those things don't happen and that we improve on those going forward. So um, I'm really excited to continue following along with Juniper Unmanned and uh, how you're leading the team there, Jeff, and um, you know, if there's any way we can help give you guys a platform to continue educating, you let me know. But uh, as we wrap up here, I'd love to end it with our with our special uh, one-liner here at the end and learn a little bit more about why uh, you chose this. But let's end it with your favorite quote. You know, maybe tell us what it means to you. How did you come across it? What happened? How has it stuck with you all this time? You know, a lot of us are going to relate to this uh, quote because it was uh, it was in the movie theater that I first heard it. And uh, and it probably for most people doesn't re require any explanation. It's uh, um, I wish it need not have happened in my time, said Frodo. So do I, said Gandalf. And so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. We've all heard it. We've all heard it. Now tell me, how did you, how did you come across this? I'm interested to know. And how do you, how do you use, how does this come up in your mind perhaps in your daily life? 
Well, I think it really you know goes back to why did I become an entrepreneur? It's looking at my life and saying how do I use my life for the for the be- benefit of the world in the best way possible, right? So I think we can only do that if we if we understand ourselves and why we were uh, you know born uh, into this particular time. We have a role. We have a responsibility to pour out our lives uh, in some way for the benefit of those others. If we know, um, then then. And, uh, you know, that if you can ask yourself uh, those uh, questions that uh, Gandalf asks, then uh, then ultimately uh, you're, you, you are on the course of living a much better life. Right. Entrepreneurism to me is is a path or it's a it's a tool that we use to live life. And we live in a time and place in all of human history. that has been it's nothing like anything else that, that anybody has ever had. We have more, you know vast amounts of uh, capital resources in this country and as an entrepreneur if we if we can put those capital resources to work and use them for the benefit of the world then you know there then there's there's nothing can that can stop us you you said it just right there's nothing that can stop us jeff thank you so much for joining us today and, and providing that insight um especially at the end i think that perfectly wraps up uh, your entrepreneurial spirit, your mindset, your beliefs, and what you hope to bring about in the business world as well, um, really connecting all of those dots together. So thank you so much for joining us today. And ladies and gentlemen, all of our, our listeners today, Jeff Kozart, CEO, Juniper Unmanned. Jeff, thank you. Thank you.